0: Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Axtman, and Pastor Carl Lehenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, back in the podcast room with our beloved senior pastor, Carl Hi, Rick. and our beloved Angela Axman. <laughs> I was wondering if I was going to be beloved. Hello, Rick. It's good to be back with both of you and back with all of you out there. Today we are uh, continuing in Ephesians. We started Ephesians last week as the next logical step after 1 Timothy in the uh, talking about the heart of the shepherd, and we certainly are going to get a lot of that today in Ephesians 2. There's Ephesians 2 is extremely rich in theology and doctrine, and I think we're going to have lots to talk about today. Yes, we will. So we're in verses 1 through 10 of Ephesians 2, everybody. Pastor, take it away.
1: Sure. Uh, Just a reminder as we get into this section that that the way the first chapter was, Paul is rattling off all of these spiritual blessings that we've received, uh, being adopted, chosen, loved predestined just one thing after another that, that reminds us of how precious we are to God and the fact that we are deeply loved, truly the apple of his eye and some of the ways that that's worked itself out in Christ or that he's worked that out in Christ. And uh, so as we get into chapter two, like Rick said, dense in theology, but uh, it's going to start off harsh. And it, it, that's because we're jumping into chapter two. Paul didn't start harsh. Uh, but it's a little bit of a uh, kind of a call back to earth after all of the incredible gifts we've been given to remember where we started, and that's where we are. So chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh,
0: So you said that it does start out harsh, those first three verses. You're dead. Yep. (laughs) Transgressions and sin and utterly helpless. That's our condition. But then verses four through nine, it's almost like a a before and after. Mm -hmm. You know, it's bad news, then good news when it comes to our identity. Yeah. And, And I think there's something
1: too that, like I said, Paul starts off with just let me remind you of every spiritual blessing you have but he knows that we have a tendency to take grace for granted and to sometimes uh, maybe uh, lose sight of our need for that grace and so he he doesn't skip over our condition apart from grace and so he's it's a reminder apart from grace I'm dead in my trespasses and sins if it weren't for God's grace then then I would be the the as yes, he puts it by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind and it just puts everything into focus to realize what my fate would have
0: been apart from Jesus. Yeah. In, later on in, in Ephesians, he's going to get into the differences between, or what used to be the differences between Jew and Gentile, and how all of that has gone away. But really what he is saying here in the first three verses is true of all of us, regardless of whether a person is coming at this as a Jew child of Abraham, all the way, th- or, or any other Gentile nation as well, because all of us have that that tendency to gratify the cravings of our sinful nature. Mm-hmm. Luther called it uh, like a turning inward mm-hmm. on yourself. A heart is curved in on ourselves, and that's our, that's our original sin, and that's true of all of us, regardless of Jew or Gentile.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. They, they, it was something that caught my attention as I was thinking about this, Paul says, um, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And so he's including himself in that phrase. And I think about Paul's history as a Pharisee of Pharisees, who was so rigorous in his legalistic obedience to the law. And how often did he indulge the the desires of the flesh? Well, the the crass desires of the flesh probably very, very, very rarely, if at all. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't still that curved in on self. And so there was a, a sort of a desire of the flesh that laid underneath even his outward obedience to the law, it was still a, a selfish right. desire that's down there because that's all we can produce of ourselves.
0: Um, it's fascinating how he describes the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the NIV, I believe that's how it's, it's, it's worded. And of course, it's talking about Satan. Yeah. Why is that such an apt description for him?
1: The the ESV puts it as prince of the power of the air, mm-hmm. and the the power piece of it he'll he'll do it again uh, in this section of Ephesians, and then later on towards the end he'll come back to this idea that there's that spiritual forces are their powers they're they're not to be taken lightly, and so we see that that power um, the power of the air is kind of a strange phrase in our ears. Uh, the the one thing I've read on that is that as people thought about uh, sort of the heavens and the hierarchy of the heavens. There's God up at the top, and then the fallen angels are at the bottom of the heavens, which is the air, like right here, kind of what we would call the atmosphere, kind of a thing. Uh, so I've read that that's one one way to understand why Paul would use the language he uses. Um, I'm not certain of it, but it strikes me as as implying you have this great power over like nothing. Like
0: there's oh, a certain kind I of see. a. Uh, See, my mind went in a slightly different direction. I was thinking about, like, it's so he's so pervasive. It's like he's air, mm-hmm. it's airborne. Mm-hmm. Remember in COVID, everybody's talking about, oh, it can't be airborne. If it's airborne, that's bad. Mm-hmm. And so if, if Satan is the prince of the power of the air, to me, that is communicating his, he's everywhere. He infiltrates mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And just the fact that he's called the prince of the power of the air. He's not the king.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Still, a notch down. Yeah, absolutely, (laughs) not totally in control.
1: Yeah, no, not totally in control, but not to be uh, taken lightly either. Jesus describes him also as as the ruler of this world. Um, There's
0: Jesus made some sort of reference similar to that in the Garden of Gethsemane at his arrest, when he said, "Now is the time when darkness reigns," Mm -hmm. and so you do have that that language of rule, reigning rule, darkness. Right. And so, and while Jesus was very clear in telling Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world, clearly Satan is, his kingdom is of this world. Yeah. But that's like, that's it. That's the limit to his reign.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have the, I guess when I was saying the ruler over, like, I don't know how I said it, but the the air is vacuous, right? Mm-hmm. It's filled up by other things. And, um, what what Jesus rules over is eternal people an eternal kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth the, the creation that sort of is the substance of God's design and his desire and and Satan um, what he his kingdom is in a way kind of vacuous too if you when you indulge the desires of the flesh, they just leave you wanting more. they don't satisfy, they don't fulfill there's there's something missing. the substance is kind of absent uh, because he's only offering you a deception.
0: The other interesting phrase here is objects of wrath. And I just did a little bit of a, a verse search. Where else, where else in Paul's epistles especially do we get that phrase wrath of God? And you get it in Romans 1 where he talks about how the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness. And in Romans 2.5 again because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart you're storing up wrath against yourself. And, and then it, it caused me to think about where is that one verse that talks about how it's a dreadful thing to mm-hmm. fall into the hands of the living God, and it's in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think really that's the ultimate wrath of God, is to, um, or that's the ultimate dread, is to find yourself falling into the hands of a holy God when you are not holy and you're not taking uh, the grace that is being offered to you and you're saying to him, essentially, I'll go it alone.
1: Yeah, you know it. As you were talking, I was remembering a conversation I had quite a few years ago, where where there was a young couple and they'd come and they wanted their child to be baptized but didn't want anything to do with the church. And so I said, "Well, let's just have a conversation," and we start talking, and and they really, she had real problem with the idea of the wrath of God, and it occurs to me. That one of the reasons why we have a problem with the idea of the wrath of God is because of what you said before about being curved in on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I see the whole the whole universe as if it's just like me and God, and of course God should be fine with me because I'm I'm me, right? And I don't I, what I miss is all of the damage that I have done to all of the other people whom God loves because of of my sins against them, because of the things I haven't done for them, and it's so I am storing up for myself the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Because of all of the harm that I've caused to others, that all needs to be forgiven in order for me to have a, a right relationship with God. And so when we kind of omit all that and, and act as if it's just sort of me and God and I haven't ever hurt anybody or anything, then wrath of God is it feels like inappropriate. But in reality, you come hurt my kids. You're gonna, I'm going to be angry. I'll experience your yeah, wrath. Yeah, you'll experience my wrath, right? Or I'll be restraining my wrath at the very best, yeah. which is what God is doing, right? He's restraining his wrath in order to try to bring us into that place where we can be forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so he can give us something better than what
0: we deserve.
2: Yeah.
0: And then we come to verse 4, and it all begins to turn. With the very first word, in the NIV, you have that word, but verse 4, but because of his great love for us, and then everything turns, and the rest of Ephesians 2 is all grace, mercy, love, redemption, the kindness of God. I like, I like how Paul does this, because as you pointed out at the beginning of this podcast, Pastor, we get this dose of reality about what our, our identity would be apart from God. We, we are utterly helpless. But then here comes the gospel.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: just, you know, just a casual, there
1: were 23 verses in chapter 1, which were pretty much all grace. We're 10 verses into chapter 2, and we've had three verses of that that dose of reality, so we can appreciate the grace that consumes the other 30 verses, (laughs) pretty much, of what we've read. So as Paul writes this letter, he's just pouring out lots and lots of grace and love from God, and uh, thinking Heart of a Shepherd and especially thinking of parenting, uh, I wonder if that's maybe something we can learn from a little bit because, you know, we jump very quickly to the correction and uh, it's immersed in grace and love for for Paul here. And maybe that's something that as a father I can be thoughtful about, immersing my family, my loved ones with the grace of God rather than just thinking about the the need for correction or um, something like that.
0: Right.
2: I like that he points out, even in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we weren't just dying, mm-hmm. we weren't just struggling
1: or, mm-hmm.
2: you know, falling short or something. Yeah. We were dead. Yes. And he made us alive again, like he, like Christ rose from the dead. And that's amazing.
0: Yeah. He says almost the exact same thing in Romans 5 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I love, and I, I don't want anybody to miss the chronology here of what happens first. It goes, you know, go back to like Exodus 20, when God is about to give Moses the law to then give to the children of Israel. Exodus 20 starts with God reminding Moses and the children of Israel, I am the God who took you out of slavery. I took you out of Egypt. I carried you on eagle's wings. Mm -hmm. Now, the next verse, you know, worship God only. Mm -hmm. He begins to give them the law after he has already brought them out of the the slavery that they were in. So if you were to flip it, which would be more the way sinful man operates, it's you do something good for me first. And then Mm -hmm. if I believe you, and if you prove it with your behavior, then maybe I will show you love and mercy. God f- turns it around and says, no, I'm going to show you love and mercy even before you can obey me. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable.
1: Yeah. And you can even go back another chapter into to Exodus 19, where you get the the, the idea, you'll be my treasured possession among all peoples. You'll be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Yeah. And again, built on that same foundation of God showing his love in, in this very, um, shocking exodus and, and his hand, you know, unmistakably at work in bringing them out of, out of a slavery that they could never have escaped on their own. And that's, that's also the point when we talk about whether it's verse one, that you were dead in trespasses and sins or here in verse four, that, that when or five, when, when we were dead in our trespasses, the point is that you can't do anything about that, right? You're, you're hopeless and helpless um, because even though I don't feel dead, apart from Jesus, I am. And I I can't change it any more than a dead person can raise
0: himself back to life. And when you think about the heart of a shepherd in the in the context of a Christian household, I think every parent gets that when it comes to the love that you have for your own children. Your children do, no, do not need to prove anything to you in order for you to love them. The love is there be, simply because they are your children. And how much more is that true than... Of the god who authored love Mm -hmm. who is the embodiment of love Mm -hmm. that would certainly be true of him yeah
2: and it's a it's kind of a difficult concept it's kind of it's contrary to how we have to live in our world you know you wouldn't be able to teach a child anything if there weren't consequences for actions you know we as you were talking about he loved us First, or he gave, he brought them out of Egypt before he gave them the law. Right. But if, if we did that in our discipline, that, because human nature is so selfish, the, the kids would never get it right. No. So it's just, even, it just shows God's incredible um, power to be able to do it the opposite of the way our. <laughs> Our sinful nature needs it done. You know he yeah. overcomes that. He,
1: I, I, I'm gonna. It shows us God's incredible, um, maybe even courage, because what he's doing in a sense is he's putting his heart out there to be broken. I'm gonna give you my love a hundred percent, and and now you can respond to that how you will. And some people, many people, will respond by taking it for granted, trampling on it, walking away from from God and all of his good gifts trying to use it as an excuse to do the the desires of the flesh that are storing up wrath you know the things that are harming others and harming themselves and and God still is willing to do that to just you know in a sense write that sort of blank check Mm -hmm. and I mean I guess
0: a check that was written at the foundation of the world yeah you know that's the other thing is that all of this was part of his eternal plan
1: yeah but people can can reject it you can't and and, it, and it's never safe to walk away. You know, it's never safe to take that grace for granted or all, all those things become very spiritually dangerous because once again we're helpless. So now that we've been helped, let's hold on to the helper rather than uh, sort of take the jail get out of jail free card and try to use it uh, to like I said, to, to indulge desires that ultimately lead us away from the one who saves us.
0: And then we get to verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You know, again, I read a verse like that, and I'm thinking of our baptism and the theology of our baptism, that as Paul writes, I and mean, this is Ephesians, but he writes in Romans, we're therefore buried with him through baptism into death, uh, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might live a new life, the glory of the Father so you get that image of baptism in this verse and then you we're also reminded again almost like the in the apostles creed seated with us seated us with him in the heavenly realm so as he is seated now at the right hand of god in a spiritual sense we're there seated with him because we are his eternally
1: yeah yeah there was uh, some church father who commented on that that, that in a sense, like we're seated there because one of ours, one of our people is there on the right hand of God, which is kind of a cool way to think about yeah. it, right? We've got, we've got a guy yeah, <laughs> and he's on the throne in heaven and he's one of us. And so we're there and uh that's, that's really amazing. And once again, it, it, again, it's grace. So it's, it's as, again, a call to say, let's not get caught up in the things of this world when we know we got we got the guy on the the guy on the throne in heaven is one of us. So he loves us. He knows what's best for us. He cares about us. Um, his desires for us are right desires. So all the more reason to repent of uh, anything that would be drawing me away from from him or from God's desire for me.
0: And it's interesting to note that he's speaking of this as if it has already happened. Yeah, he has seated us. Mm-hmm. So it's past tense, mm-hmm. even though we're right now, in the present.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. I mean, well, there's a couple
1: of things here to, to think about, and it comes up again in a couple of verses, too. But there's a lot of, like, with him mm-hmm. language here. A lot of unity with Christ language. And uh, I was thinking about this earlier today, that you, you can drive your car without knowing how the engine works, and you can live your faith without knowing how your salvation works. You just know, I believe in Jesus. He died for me. And you can be forgiven, and I'm going to try to do what's right, and all, all, all good. That That works. But if you understand what's beneath the hood, it can help you, you know? And what's beneath the hood of your salvation is that in baptism, you're united with Jesus. You are one with him, and that oneness with him is the reason why your sin is punished on his cross, and your oneness with him is the reason why you get credit for his righteousness. And so because of that unity with him, you're united with the one who's on the throne in heaven. So it is if he's there, it's already happened, I have, I have, in a sense, a seat there. I, I don't yeah. know It's like, else to
0: say. The best way, maybe, is it's, it's both a now and a not yet at the same sure. time. And then in verse 7, it, it goes to the future tense. You know, we, We're talking about what will be because, in, again, in the I'm reading, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable Riches of his grace. How does it say it in the ESV? Uh, yeah, pretty
1: similar. the coming yeah. ages, he might show the immeasurable riches immeasurable, of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You have
0: to sympathize with Paul. He's trying to explain the unexplainable. <laughs> you know, when you talk about God's riches, God's grace, his might, his power, we get that same phrase in Romans 12 when we're talking about, you know, the God says God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. It's... Uh, the incomparable kindness. Yeah. How can you measure it against anything else that we know of in this world? Yeah, all, all of our language for God
1: is entirely inadequate. Mm-hmm. I mean, none of it is going to do justice. Yeah. Even before, I, I had a little catch in the back of my mind when I talked about God's heart being broken. I mean, you guys know what I mean when I say that, but that's not applicable language to God. His heart's never going to be broken. Right. He's, he's uh, beyond... Uh, you know, my decisions having that kind of impact on the creator of the universe is its not an option for me to break his heart. Uh, but he certainly has a sorrow over the the sin that draws people away from what would be so good. Um, well, to use Paul's language, the immeasurable riches that he stored up for us, people wandering from that is
0: certainly going to produce sorrow. Leading into this podcast, I was thinking that we would be spending the majority of the time the last three verses of our text eight through ten because mm-hmm. that's where we commonly go when we go to ephesians 2 mm-hmm. uh, and we haven't even gotten there yet <laughs> yeah so let's go there um you know the the hallmark lutheran verse that we love to recite and know by heart is eight and nine five, grace we're saved through faith it's not of ourselves it's a gift from god um
1: yeah and if it's not clear already that this is God's work and not yours, then he'll add it on there. It's not a result of works. <laughs> so there's no so
0: many Bible there's so yeah. many other Bible. If anybody pushes back on this idea that we have being Lutherans that we can't choose God, mm-hmm. it's Ephesians two, eight, nine is not the only place in scripture. Ephesians one four, Paul writes, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. John six forty-four, no one can come to me. Mm-hmm unless the Father draws him. Mm-hmm. And then John fifteen sixteen, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I mean, he's talking to the disciples, but it's true. They didn't pick him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he picked them. Um, Tim Keller has this hymn verse he loves to sing. I don't think it's in our hymnal, but it should be. Mm-hmm. And here's just a, a stanza. I, I jotted this down. It, "Tis not that I did choose thee for Lord that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, but thou hast chosen me. I appreciate sure it's in your Is it? Is that in our hymnal? Okay. It's in one of them anyway. Okay. Yeah. I love that because it, it expresses everything here that Paul is writing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's... The, so the, the, this is not just idle theology. This matters because if, if any of my salvation is by my own choosing or my own doing, it leaves some of it in question. But if this is God's work, if it's his grace, if he's the one who gives me the faith that saves, if it's not my own doing, but it's the gift of God then that means I don't have to question whether or not I did it well enough. I don't have to wonder, was my repentance deep enough? Or was I sincere enough when I believed? Or, it, all those questions are out the window. And I just look at the cross of Jesus and say, he did it. Right. And so therefore, I have peace. And th- that's the peace you're looking for on your deathbed. That's the peace you're looking for when you're in, in the, the trials of your life and you're asking yourself, like, does does God even know I'm here? Does he love me? The answer is a resounding yes, because... He, he did that for you. The, the true gospel is an event in history, the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, That where God did everything for our salvation. And the only thing left for us to do is we can choose to reject it. Yeah. That, that is within our power.
0: That takes us to verse 10. And I know it's a verse that we touched upon when we were doing the stories that Jesus told last summer. Because um, I know we talked about how that term workmanship God calls us his workmanship, which is to say his masterpiece and it's it's basically now this is what life looks like in the in the wake of all of this grace and mercy that we've received. Mm-hmm. What is our response to a God who has already demonstrated his endless love for us, that we do the good works that He has prepared for us to do, yeah,
1: yeah, which he prepared beforehand in case you thought you might get credit for those too, <laughs> yeah that's god that's god's work too which is uh i mean just why not like we can just praise god and praise god and praise god and every time there's something good that happens through me i get to praise god for that too uh, which just in a very i guess obvious way right i'm actually the dust of the earth dust i was the dust i shall return so i really shouldn't expect that anything that i do should be to my credit it's all it's all to god's glory he prepared it um but then god being who he is, looks at his servants and says, well done, good and faithful servant, and chooses to credit us with his work, in I always, a sense.
0: I always like to look up whatever the passages that we're studying in the message, in Eugene Peterson's version, mm-hmm. which if you don't know, the message is a version of the Bible uh, which is extremely contemporized. Mm-hmm. And this is how he, he writes Ephesians 2, 8-10. to Maybe this could be the kind of the closing of this. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and next to the shower uh, and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. <laughs> so, and even that kind of hinges a little bit on us having a role when we really don't. Pastor, give us the last word.
1: Well, I guess I think, I mean, that that hits at it, or just again, that we were dead and he raised us, right? So praise God. Praise God for the life and salvation that we have in him and for the the gift that it is to be able to uh, be in the lives of others and be a communicator of that love that he's given to those who are near and dear to you. So... With your shepherd's heart, go and and love the people God has given you to love and help them to believe that they too are a, a people who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus.
0: Well, there it is, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, everybody. Thanks for being with us. God's blessings to you. We'll see you back here in a couple of days with our next podcast.